With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. What are those to the podcast? My name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here, other half of the podcast. Kyle, happy Sunday, bro. Well, happy Sunday for you more than me, but... Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, as far as the NFL games from this past weekend, I mean, they were phenomenal. And granted, you know, as we're recording, uh, the... Um, the Chargers and Chiefs game is still going on. So anybody that's listening right now, you, you guys will already know the result. But as we always do, we'll kind of like update as we go along, you know, before we ended up wrapping the episode up. But um, yeah, I mean, we'll dive into a lot of the games from this past weekend. But um, this this episode is going to start on a little bit more of a somber note. Um, Kev, I, I know you have some things to say about... uh really one of your childhood heroes uh, that suddenly passed away this past weekend. So, Kev, I'll just give you the floor on this one. Take as much time as you need. I appreciate that, man. I know we don't have much of a platform, if anything at all, but uh, for those of you that are unaware, Jason David Frank, the actor that played Tommy Oliver in Power Rangers back in the 90s, has unfortunately passed away. He took his own life at 49 years old, and I know, unlike... Me, there are just so many other people out there, not just fans, but kids, or should I say grown-ups now, that grew up watching that show. And uh, it was it, tr- it truly was like life-changing for a lot of us. You know, like everybody wanted to be Tommy Oliver. Everybody wanted to be a Power Ranger. Everybody played Power Rangers at recess, you know, dressed up as them for Halloween or <laughs> dressed up... As them in the house, you know, I had the morphers, the toys. I, I, I mean, I had the VHS tapes, the DVDs. I mean, Power Rangers was just one of those things. Like, I know that I talked about, I've always been a comic book fan and a sports fan and all these different things. And before I could do any of those things, I was, I was a kid first. And Power Rangers was that show that every Saturday I woke up 8 o'clock, 7 o'clock, maybe even sometimes 6.30 to make sure that I got a good seat before my mom woke up for the news and, you know, try to call dibs in the living room for the uh for the tv and it was fox kids for those of you that grew up in new york you know or whatever channel it was for you guys wherever you come from but i'd wake up and i'd, I'd just wait for the next episode of obviously mighty morphin came out in 93 i was born in 94 but between reruns and vhs tapes i was able to catch up and do what i could but i always made sure that i watched power rangers whenever i could point of the matter is um my childhood hero unfortunately passed away today um it messed me up i won't lie it was a it was a painful text to receive from my younger brother who also watched Power Rangers with me. And, you know, somebody that I found to be an inspiration for somebody who was uh, smaller, made fun of, bullied, 
Power Rangers gave me hope, man. Power Rangers got me through a lot of things. Um, Tommy, in particular, Jason David Frank, got me through a lot of things. And as I got older, seeing how he continued to advocate for mental health, someone as someone who suffers through their own mental health issues, it was a. Uh, it was nice to see him kind of continue the legacy 20-some-odd years down the road. Again, I'm a 28-year-old grown man, lives on his own, you know, animal and all that shit relationship. And it's just, I feel personally that this death hit me harder than Kobe Bryant. And for those of you that know me personally, know that I was a massive Kobe Bryant fan and a, a, just a sports connoisseur in general. So, you know, like I said before, and like I've said multiple times, for people that need to talk to somebody, for people that... Um, have a lot going on and uh, for people that don't have advocates to speak for or speak for themselves you know check on those people man like just talk to your friends talk to your family tell them you love them tell them you care because it's like life is just too short and I'm doing my best to keep my emotions in check because I've cried like on and off all day because like I said this was genuinely my childhood hero Um, you guys just got to make sure that everybody's good like your inner circle people that you haven't talked to family members that you may have a tiny grudge with for something silly over Thanksgiving 30 years ago, you got to talk to people. You never know what anybody's going through. You never know the hardships that they have. And for, for, for a celebrity, whenever a celebrity does this, like Robin Williams and so many other people, again, like I know that Tommy wasn't the only person or Jason wasn't the only person that has, you know, gone through this tragedy. But this is something that was a staple in my life, a consistency in my life. There were times like I would sit in this house in my apartment and rewatch Power Rangers. Like I would legitimately go and find them online and I would rewatch season after season after season and I didn't care. So, um, yeah, before I, you know, continue this and make this episode absolutely ridiculously sad, um, rest in peace to a legend, rest in peace to a hero. Um, he helped a lot of kids back in the day, man. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of guys, a lot of grown men, a lot of women that I personally know that watched Power Rangers. Um, he was just an impactful person, and he continued that as as I got older. And it was just, you know, it was awesome to see. So again, just speaking personally from my small little platform that I share with my partner, um, just take care of the ones you love, man. Just check on them because you never know when that's going to be gone. So R.I.P. to Jason David Frank and. Uh, you know, I appreciate you for what you did for me as a kid personally and, you know, what you were able to do for so many others. That was, that was well said, Kev. <clears throat> that, was, that was well said. Um, I mean, when I was younger, um, I, you know, this is just part of my ignorance here. I mean, I didn't watch Power Rangers when I was a kid, but I knew how popular it was back then. And I kind of base it off of, you know, what kids wore like for Halloween costumes and every Halloween, like, especially when I was younger, there were always kids uh, dressed up in power ranger costumes. And even though like, I knew that like there were different ones that they had different colors or whatnot. I just, I didn't really know the backstory behind it. So um, obviously I know that he wore the, the green power ranger suit. So like, and this is a question I actually have for you since I don't really know much about Power Rangers. Like I said, just I just I didn't watch Power Rangers as a kid. What about his character stood out from the rest of that Power Ranger group to you? Well, I mean, he came onto the scene. He was only supposed to be on it for 10 episodes. Um, the, the audience ended up falling in love with his charisma, leadership. Um, obviously, he started off as a bad guy. He was supposed to be the antagonist to the Power Rangers, the... Queen Rita, the bad guy, the super bad queen, and Lord Zed and all that shit. 
um, she had created her version of a Power Ranger because she had been losing for months and months and years and years, and the power just kept kicking her ass. And she created her own ranger, and he was a martial artist in real life, so he brought those martial arts skills to his role. And um, he got close with the rangers before he became an actual Power Ranger. Like, he was just a friend to their, like, you know, Power Rangers were kids and then, or teenagers, and they ended up saving the world as Power Rangers, and nobody knew who the fuck they were, even though, even though they wore their colors every day to school and nobody could put two and two together. Um, it was just genuinely, Tommy came on the scene, and between his smile how he was able to get along with the entire group, how he had the love interest of my first female crush in, in, in Kimberly, Amy Jo Johnson. Um, and, dude, it was, it was crazy, like, how people just gravitated towards him. And when he became the Ranger, it was just like, oh, my God, like, Tommy's here, like, shit. <laughs> and then he became a good guy, and then it was just like, oh, my God. Like, the strongest Power Ranger is now a good guy. Like, Rita's about to get her ass kicked. And then he lost his powers, had to become the White Ranger. Then he became the Red Ranger, another Red Ranger. Then he came back in Dino Thunder in 2003 or 2004 as the Black Ranger. So, like, he was legitimately an ongoing character for, like, five or six seasons. And then took a break and then became another Power Ranger again, like, as he got older. And he just continued to do cameos and, and, and mentions, or should I say, like, conventions and stuff like that. But people fell in love with Tommy's positive outlook. Tommy's charisma with the team, how he came about it. And again, a temporary character ended up making such an imprint not only to the, the company, but to kids all over the world, man. Like, legit. Like, everybody always wanted to be the Red Ranger. Everybody in the whole world. I mean, Kyle, I know you didn't watch Power Rangers, but like, everybody knows the Red Ranger was the coolest guy. Mm -hmm. just, just, just a fact. This Green Ranger was, I will go out and say, with the most iconic Power Ranger in history because he's the first Green Ranger and just the absolute most legendary because he was such a, just a short tenured time because of he was bad and then he was good and then he lost his powers. Like that was like literally maybe like two seasons combined, maybe uh, in terms of lengths of, of seasons. But this, like this character, I mean, like this guy was it, man. Like Tommy was everything. And I mean, for those that, that did watch him, like everybody knows the impact he had to the to, to the Power Ranger community. It was it was crazy. Yeah, it, it's just it's just unfortunate. I mean, I think Jason was what forty forty nine. It's just it's such a young age. I mean, granted, I mean, we were talking about this before we even started recording. I mean, he was younger than our parents. I mean, he wasn't even fifty years old yet, and just to see him go so suddenly, I. I mean, I, I saw the news on Twitter when it broke on uh, Sunday morning, but man, it was, it was overwhelming. Like the, the, the positive response that just people were bringing up the memories that he just instilled from kids that had been growing up watching the Power Rangers um, until they got older. So it's just. It's just it's they just, still watch him. Shit, I promise you yeah. that. I I told you, bro. I'll be still watching that shit. And I know people older than me they still watch like the current Power Rangers because of how impactful the OGs was. And the new ones are nowhere near what the old ones were. I, I will be the first person to tell you that. But, <laughs> bro, Power Rangers back in the day, bro, from like legit like ninety four to like two thousand, and like just a little bit after that, like again, depending on your fandom and your age, like bro, from the originals to like. 
I want to say Dino Thunder SPD era. And again, I don't expect people to understand what I'm talking about, but like from that era, like that, like 10 year gap or like that 10 year span, span was the greatest era of television ever because you also had X Men, Spider Man, Dragon Ball Z, Naruto. You had all of the Yu Gi Oh! fucking Digimon, Pokemon. Pokemon. Our childhood, there is no debate. Zero, like, bro, argue with yourself and you're going to lose to yourself. Argue with the wall, the wall's going to win. Our generation of child television, undefeated. You cannot compare. And I just named a few things from just Saturday morning cartoons. That's not including Kids Next Door and Cartoon Network. That's SpongeBob, not including Fairly Odd Parents, SpongeBob, G- Jimmy Neutron, Cat Dog, I mean, Hey Arnold. There were some good shows. Our era is the greatest for cinematic purposes in terms of television shows. There's just no debate. Yeah, I think it was probably the amount of shows that we had at our disposal. I mean, our parents, I mean, they had shows that are, I mean, that are iconic for them. I mean, you have like the Flintstones, you have the Jetsons. I, I mean, like there's Tom animated Jerry, shows. Like, I mean, there's a bunch of cartoons from back in the day. I mean, that are still iconic. It's just, I think with our generation and granted, you know, this may be a little bit of narcissism with our generation a little bit here, but the amount of shows that we had at our disposal that we just had for probably what, till we were like 10, 11, 12 years old, bro. It bro, was, some, I mean, some shows like kept going to like end of high school, like, or excuse me, like a middle of high school, like SpongeBob I, I, is still I, going. Like I, I'm talking ridiculous. about, I'm talking about like when those shows were on their elite runs oh yeah 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 yeah. they were they were small runs but when they yeah. were on fire we had options bro we had yeah we had nickelodeon cartoon network disney channel fox kids kids wb yep we had abc family shows i mean dude it, good it god was, like it, it was a lot dude, pbs was, even in the morning i mean dude we have mr rogers like what the fuck our era was ridiculous reading I, rainbow i mean mr rogers kind of spanned time i mean yeah, that show had been around for a long time. Dragon so. Tales lit. I'm gonna die on that hill. That show was lit. <laughs> I, I I definitely dabbled in that one from time to time. So yeah, I just I, I mean, just looking back at the whole timeline of TV shows that we had, I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. We were kind of spoiled in that regard when you have so many options to choose from. But I mean, just to kind of round this out, just I mean, I, I know Kev, you've already kind of gone on here but i think it would just be fair to say just rest in peace to jason david frank um it's you know suicide is always something that's just so sudden and it's very sad and and honestly topic too i don't really want to dive into the details i honestly i don't even know if the details are even really out at this point i don't really you know care to seek those out at this point but um no i think uh i think just to kind of wrap this up I think you nailed it on the head, you know, as far as just the impact that he had for your childhood. I, I, I don't think, I don't think anything more could be said than that. I think you, you did good. Yeah. You know, prayers out, condolences to his family, his friends, the supporting cast of the show. Everybody's pretty much posted something about him in Memorial and, uh, some of those posts hurt more than the actual situation because like those people knew him personally, like on mm-hmm. an actual in-depth level and you read some of their posts and their stories and their pictures and you're like, I didn't even know this guy. And it's just, as I, as, as we record this podcast, I actually saw a video today 
scrolling through TikTok. Just actually just scroll. And of course, it picks up the algorithm. You like one video of one thing, and that's what's going to be trending. And of course, all everything was Tommy related today. He recorded a video. I don't know when. Six minutes long. And I'll just be brief. Just talking about how he himself felt like he didn't know what he was going to amount to starting in high school. He was voted least likely to succeed. Usually when you're that young, you're moldable. You, you fall into that mindset of, I'm not going to be nothing. I'm never going to mm-hmm. become something. And that's in an era without social media. That's back in the, in the 80s. And he ends up getting this role and, and it becomes what it is. And he blows up. He becomes a public figure. He becomes an idol. He becomes an icon, a legend. Mm-hmm. And he continues to talk about so many realistic things where it's like, it doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter what you want. It's what you're willing to do to get there. And like, oh, I feel it coming again. Shit. He said, you have to believe in what you want. It doesn't matter if you want to be a Power Ranger. It doesn't matter if you want to be an astrophysicist, a cop. You have to give yourself 110% of everything every single day. And you have to be dedicated to that cause. And I thought of this podcast. And it's something that I've wanted since I was in high school. And people told me that I couldn't do it. And people told me it was stupid. And I know we're very small and we're not big or anything like that. But again, for those of you that do listen to our episodes, like I've said it before early on in the podcast, you have to chase those dreams. Like Kyle and I are just two regular people and we're having fun and we're two best friends that literally do this. Even if we weren't recording a podcast, we'd normally call each other every Sunday after football season. And it's like to, to, to have this platform that we do just makes me so happy. And to hear those words, again, even though after it was something that he posted prior and he's already passed, it hit hard because it's like my hero was telling me, like, you can do it. Mm-hmm. Like, we're here and we're doing it, you know? Like, we've gotten better editing content, verbal, software, equipment, everything, right? And... Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I felt in that moment, that was like a touch to like that, like a goodbye, like a 90s moment, like a, you know, you're doing it. You're, you've adhered the way of, of, of pushing through the adversity. And I felt that in watching that video, it was absolutely surreal. And again, just to kind of end it on that note, like, just don't give up on your dreams, man. No matter what people say, only you can stop you from doing it. And if that's the thing that's keeping you, tell yourself to shut the fuck up and put your head down and go. Yeah. I mean... You know, granted, you know, he has passed on to the other side, and I know that that's unfortunate, but that doesn't mean that the words that he said before his passing won't live on forever. So the words are going to be there, what he said. And honestly, it's up to you, and it's up to, I mean, it could be up to anybody how you decide to use those words. You know, you could use them as motivation. You can use them as fuel and you never know where that could propel you to. But it's like, if you actually believe in it, you just have to put the work in. And sometimes you just need the right motivation to be able to do it. And sometimes just having that little motivational, you know, pep talk, granted, it may not have even been a discussion that you were having with that person. It could just be something that you find on social media or wherever. It could be, on your YouTube page, Twitter page, it doesn't matter. I could kickstart something, but it's like you have to believe in it. And if you don't believe in it, you're not going to go anywhere. So it, it really starts, you know, it starts here. It starts from 
internally. So that that's just kind of how I see it. But no, um, once again, I just just to kind of round this out, just, I just got to say rest in peace. I don't think there's really anything else that I can say. But, um, you know, understandably, you know, you have still got off to a very somber start. But sorry about that, guys. No, sorry. no, 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 sorry. no, no, no. It was no. It was like I said. It was like, bro, we needed devoted some time for that. I definitely needed that. So, um, but to get on to the sports part of the podcast, let's focus on, bro. These week eleven matchups were pretty solid. I mean, I'll just run through the gamut real quick of the games that we're going to cover. Uh, I think it's safe to say that the freaking Cowboys had their massacre of the Minnesota Vikings winning by the score of 40 to three. Obviously we'll get into that in a couple of minutes, but that was just an absolutely wild beatdown that took place in Minnesota on Sunday. After that, we'll talk about the jets and the Patriots game, very defensive minded game. It was a battle. It was really just a battle of field position the entire day, but the Patriots end up getting essentially what you could amount to a game winning punt return by Marcus Jones, who was a rookie scored that punt return with about, I want to say like eight to seven seconds left scored the only touchdown of the day. And the Patriots end up bumping up to a six and four record after that. So we'll dive into the AFC East as a whole a little bit later, but just the AFC East is really competitive this year with all four teams having a realistic shot to make the playoffs with about a third of the season left to go. And then after that, We'll talk about how the Eagles barely escape Indianapolis with a win. And Kevin, I know you're a Colts fan, but at least like your second team behind the Colts were able to get something as far as a dub is concerned, but was not a pretty win. So I know you have plenty to say about that. After that, we'll dive into the Lions and Giants game. Uh, the Lions are on a three-game winning streak here. They're sitting in second place in the NFC North. They still have a long shot to make the playoffs, but um, another side of the coin to this one was the amount of injuries that the Giants sustained in this game. And some of these injuries were not small. The, you got a couple of players at the Giants that could be dealing with some significant injuries that could dictate how the rest of their season is going to be played out. So uh, we'll round out the, the NFL game slate from this past weekend on that. And then to round out the NFL topics, uh, there's definitely some news regarding Odell Beckham Jr. He still is recovering from his torn ACL that he suffered in the Super Bowl this past season, but he has limited his options to playing for the Cowboys or the Giants. Um, we don't know when we're going to see him back on the field, but it seems as if he's probably going to make a decision for the team he's going to try to play for by the end of the month. So Kevin and I will make our predictions on where we see him going. And then to round out the episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the Sacramento Kings. The Kings have been on a really hot stretch of late. Usually the Kings, Kev, I think we've always kind of said this about Sacramento. We usually refer to it as a black hole in the NBA simply just because they don't typically do that good. But I have to say, granted it's still early. We're still in November. The Kings have been looking pretty solid so far. So uh, we'll dive into them and talk about how their success has really been on a solid stretch here. Uh, for the last couple of weeks or so. But that's what we have for the agenda today. Kev, kick me this Cowboys and Vikings game because I'm going to go off. All right. I got you. I got you. I'm going to throw you the lob real quick. So 
I'm not even gonna get into detail because I'm I'm gonna let Kyle take the whole thing. What in the hell happened in Minneapolis for the Vikings to not only crumble, not only fold, but to just implode to the utmost degree of the word, and for Dallas to just mop the floor with them? Kyle, what the hell happened? Well, the only way that I could describe what happened to the Vikings this past weekend was they suffered a massacre. You could literally call this the Minneapolis massacre. I know that they're famous for the Minneapolis miracle that took place when Stephon Diggs got the game-winning touchdown against the Saints in the NFC Divisional round a couple years ago when Case Keenum was the quarterback. But in this game, it was the antithesis of a miracle. It was an absolute annihilation. And Dallas just dominated this game from beginning to end. And to be quite honest with you, Kev, a lot of people are going to look to Kirk Cousins and his inability to really do anything productive in this game. There's nothing I can really blame him for. He had no time to work with whatsoever. The Cowboys had seven sacks against him. And there were times where Kirk Cousins was doing a play-action pass, and as soon as he turns around, you had either Micah Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence, or somebody on that Cowboys defensive line literally ready to tackle him. He had no time to work with whatsoever. And I understand that the Vikings offensive line had some injury issues early on in that game. And I think that it had a major factor for the Vikings to be able to move the ball up and down the field. Because after that, I would say that first quarter field goal that they got, man, they couldn't get anything rolling in any way, shape, or form. And, you know, just to kick it over to Dallas, this is how you bounce back from a really bad loss to the Packers last week when they gave up a 14-point fourth-quarter lead against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. This is how you respond, simply just because I was not expecting the Cowboys to be able to go out in this manner and just smash, literally smash, one of the best teams in the NFL by 37 points. If I remember correctly, this is the biggest margin of victory for the Cowboys in a road game in their entire team history. Cowboys have been around for a long time. And you win by 37 points on the road where you essentially wipe out who was arguably the number one team in the NFL with the Vikings who had just came off the game of the year last year to the Bills. Just a phenomenal game from the Cowboys in every facet of the word. When I look at Dallas... Dallas definitely needed this win just to kind of get back into a rhythm just just because of that letdown game that they had against Green Bay. And this is how you do it. Offensively, they were phenomenal. Dak Prescott was great. Tony Pollard is an absolute beast. I understand they have a great uh, running back combo in Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. As far as I see it, Tony Pollard is the number one running back on that team. I know that Ezekiel Elliott has been there longer. He's getting paid more. But as far as total effectiveness goes, Tony Pollard is that dude. Both of his touchdowns were walk-in touchdowns where nobody touched him. That second one where he runs a wheel route and just absolutely torches the linebacker that he's lined up against. It was a thing of beauty. And not only that, the pass that Dak threw to him was just on the money. And that was a third and 14. That was not an easy third down to convert. And at that point... I mean, the route was already kind of on to begin with just because the Vikings were already down 20 points going into halftime. 
That touchdown to Tony Pollard to start the third quarter. I mean, that game was over after that touchdown. And the Cowboys didn't let up. They ended up putting 40 points on the board and completely took any sort of excitement or energy from the Vikings fans in that stadium completely out of the stadium. The game was over after Tony Pollard got that touchdown. And, man, if the Vikings had any sort of hope to get some sort of drive started, man, that Cowboys defense locked it down. To give up three points against one of the more prolific offenses in the Vikings, it was a thing of beauty to watch. And as far as I see it, when it comes to the Cowboys, granted, I think there are still some other teams that we have to consider as far as being the top dog in the NFC. The Eagles are probably that number one team, but you could make a very good case that the Cowboys are the second best team in the NFC. And if they play up to that standard, Philly's got to watch out because Philly's been kind of faltering the last couple of weeks. And if the Cowboys play like that against the Vikings, against the Eagles, Cowboys got a shot here. They typically have a you typically have a thing of screwing things up when it comes to playoff time. And I wouldn't doubt that when we get to that part of the season. But based off of this, Kev, they made Kirk Cousins and that Vikings offense look like a high school football team. I mean, it was that wide of a margin of defeat where if you're the Vikings, man, you got to throw that entire film session in the trash as far as I'm concerned because that's the worst game they're going to play the entire year. And I know we've given Kirk Cousins a lot of shit in the past about not being able to perform in primetime games. This wasn't a primetime game, but to me, this is one of the worst losses he's ever sustained. And to be quite honest with you, I can't really blame it on Kirk. He had no time to work with. It was just because that Cowboys defense was just phenomenal from beginning to end. So all in all, an amazing win from Dallas. They definitely needed that bounce back win. And we'll see where it kind of goes from here. But Kev, the floor is yours on this one. I have no rebuttal. I have no additional content to put here just because you outlined it perfectly. I will circle one number, 13. That's how many times Kirk Cousins was hit. That doesn't include hurries or rushes at all. He was sacked seven times. We have talked about this all season long. If you have no offensive line, you have no quarterback. You have no offense. I don't care if you have Michael Vick there. I don't care if you have fucking Joe Montana back there. It makes no difference. You're not going to be able to throw the football. And that's exactly what happened with Kirk Cousins today. 12 of 23 for 105 yards and a QBR of 14.8. What would you like him to do when he's running for his life the entire game? Credit, Dallas's defense woke up. They were angry from last week. They bounced back and they did what they needed to do and then some. But when you look at it and say, oh, this is what happens when Kirk Cousins has to play a big game. This would have happened to anybody. This would have happened to Tom. This would have happened to Aaron. This is what happens when you have no protection up front. It is what it is. And Dallas scored in every single opportunity that they needed to. And the crazy part is Dallas had 40 rushing attempts today, right? They averaged less than four yards per carry. I know it's a measly 3.8, but when you're talking about having a dominating running attack, a dominating running performance by multiple people, you would hope that it's four and a half, five yards, maybe even six yards a carry. That's not the case. They ran it for 151 yards, but Minnesota did what they needed to do to keep them contained outside of Tony Pollard averaging 5.3 yards per carry. And to touch on the Tony Pollard-Ezekiel Elliott thing, I I don't give a shit if you pay Zeke more. I don't, because we've seen plenty of people get cut, traded with contracts as big as Ezekiel Elliott's. That's Jerry Jones holding on and being stubborn. They had equal amount of touches. One had 80 yards, one had 42 Pretty sure you can guess who had the, the bigger number. But anyway, it's neither here nor there. The point of the matter is, 
Dallas was firing on all cylinders. Minnesota was unable to get into a rhythm, nor was their defense able to stop the common cold. And at the end of the day, when you have a game like this, this is an immediate confidence boost for Dallas to say, you know what? We lost a close one at home against Green Bay. No, actually, that was not at home. Was it at home? No, it was in Lambeau. Okay. We lost a tough one last week on the road. We got to bounce back. We can't do this back-to-back weeks. We're, we're, we're competing with the Eagles. We're trying to keep up with the Giants. All the, all the narratives within the NFC East, in which we'll talk about that division later, the, the, the Cowboys answered everything. They silenced all the haters. They silenced all the doubters. And Minnesota looks like a fraud. They beat, arguably, at the time, what looked to be the best team in the league. I know they were squandering at the time because Buffalo had just lost to the Jets the week prior. But Minnesota does not look good. That was a horrible, horrible, horrible performance. It may be one of the worst blowouts I've seen in my lifetime. But again, shout out to Dallas. I give them credit because I gave them shit. So I will own up to what I had said. And Minnesota, they got to figure it out. This is not the kind of loss you want to have against one of the more consistent opponents in the NFC. At least you're going to need to continue to fight. Like I know the division is out of reach for the majority of the cases in terms of the NFC uh, NFC North. Whether you win your division or not and you get a home playoff game, you were at home. If you play Dallas again in a wild card game, you best believe they're going to repeat the same formula. So kudos to the Cowboys and the Vikings got some shit to work on. And you know the crazy thing is, is that we both picked the Vikings to win this game and we kind of picked it to be a relatively close game. Nobody saw this coming. Yeah. Nobody saw the, the Cowboys putting up potentially 35 to 40 points. Granted, I know that the Vikings have a somewhat suspect defense, but I think the more impressive part was the fact that they literally shut down that Vikings offense to three points. And honestly, when it comes to the Vikings, this is something that I've been kind of thinking about with them. Outside of the Bills, who have they really beat as far as like top-tier talent? when it comes to the teams that they've gone up against because they got smashed by the Eagles on Monday night in week two. And then they got absolutely railroaded, ran roughshod over by the Cowboys. They beat the Dolphins, but I don't think they had Tua. I don't, yeah, I think Teddy Bridgewater was playing in that game. So, and then they knocked him out of the game and then they had to play the third string. So I think when it comes to the Vikings, I, I think the Vikings definitely deserved that number one spot in our power rankings last week simply just because they beat the Bills in the game of the year at this point. But you follow that up with this? you Man. That's not it, bro. That's a terrible look. 37 points you lost by? At home. And, and granted, I can't really blame Kirk on this one. Kirk no. couldn't do anything. Justin Jefferson couldn't do anything. Nobody could. I, I think Dalvin Cook, I think, had maybe 80, he had 72, he had 72 yards, but on 11 touches, bro. He was averaging over six yards a carry, but, but when you're getting blown out that quick, you got to abandon the run game. Exactly. So, I mean, I give Minnesota credit for still running the ball, even though the game was well in reach at that point, especially like in the second half when he was getting some touches. But... Game was essentially over by halftime, and yeah. really that Tony Pollard touchdown, I think was it was the second one of the day. Put everything out of it, it was it was over. You could, Kev, I, I was watching that game. You couldn't hear the fans. It was dead silent in there. And mind you, like that stadium gets rocking, and they've had every reason to really be 
rocking this year simply just because, you know, going into that game, they were eight and one. But man, that that's one where you go into the film session tomorrow, you watch it and then you burn it. Cause like, that's not us. There's, there's no happy medium there. That's right, a, like, that's an immediate, yeah, I'll run in all of you punter included kick all of you everybody running and it really kind of hones in on the point that we've really kind of focused on this year and it's the offensive line if you do not have an offensive line you can kiss those games goodbye because you're not going to be able to get them and in this game i have never seen that dallas pass rush get after it like they did today bro they made life literal hell for that Vikings offense. There's no other way to put it. Freaking not at all. Micah Micah Parsons was he went Man, beast mode. Bro, he was he went beast mode on those boys today. There's no other way to put it. So <clears throat> but yeah, it just you know, the Cowboys look good. We'll see whether or not they could be able to maintain it. Uh they're still in the news uh, regarding OBJ. We'll get to that later in the episode. But um to this next gear, one. This next gears. one. Now this that one boy, let Kyle like Kyle, Kyle got a little hot right there. You see, you Kyle got a little, a little steamy right there, right? This is the game, Kyle. I know that Kyle's got to just let it loose, and this is about his team. So, this oh, my game team was won, three, my team won. My team won though. This, this just true. That's true. But this game was three to three with like twenty seconds left. Mm-hmm. Absolutely insane. I didn't watch it, but it looked to be a struggle fest, just a defensive battle back and forth until the literal end. The Jets lose three to ten. On a punt return touchdown for the win against the Patriots, the Patriots move on to 6-4, and four. the Jets fall to 6-4, and four, and are 0-2 against Bill Belichick and the Patriots this season. So Kyle, I'll pose this to you. What in God's name are the Jets going to do with Zach Wilson? And can New England actually, potentially, squeak into the playoffs? I'll start with Zach Wilson first. So, Zach Wilson against the Patriots, he's just not the answer, as far as I see it, just because... Whenever Zach goes up against the Patriots, Bill Belichick makes him look like a high school quarterback. And in the first matchup that they had, he had three interceptions. And honestly, some of the decisions that he made put the Jets behind the eight ball. And he was one of the reasons why they lost that first matchup at home. And then you transition to this game. And I will say that Zach Wilson was a little bit smarter with his decisions in this game compared to the first matchup simply just because he didn't turn the ball over. So, I mean, I guess that's somewhat of a step in the right direction. But that pretty much outlines all the positives I could say about Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson had nine completions in 22 attempts. Nine. And this is really where you could give a boatload of credit to that Patriots defense because they locked it down. They were not going to give anything to Zach Wilson to throw to. It didn't really matter who was getting the ball, whether it was Denzel Mims, Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson. Those guys were all locked down. The top receiver, which is like a tie for like the four receivers um, on the Jets receiving core, everybody had like two receptions. So the Patriots secondary, I mean, they just locked it down and they weren't giving the Jets anything to work with. But there were times where Zach could have extended some drives, kept some drives alive, and he just couldn't do it. And I understand that in this game in particular, weather was definitely a factor simply because it was really windy and there were crosswinds uh, swirling throughout the stadium. So that definitely made it a little bit di- more difficult with passing. But 
Zach Wilson is the leader of this offense. And in the second half, the Jets offense had two total yards. Two. Like, I understand the Patriots have a good defense. I don't know if it's that good. And it really kind of like indicates the situation that Zach Wilson has against the Patriots. He just flat out sucks against them. And to a larger extent, I thought that Joe Flacco should have gotten some reps because Zach Wilson wasn't doing anything. The entire Jets offense had around 100 to 105 total yards against the Patriots. They scored three points in a game where the defense for the Jets kept them in it. Mac Jones actually had a relatively decent day. They were able to move the ball up and down effectively, but the Jets defense had six sacks against Mac Jones in the Patriots offense. In a large part, they gave the Patriots offense absolute fits once the Patriots got to the Jets' 30-35 yard line. They were not letting the Patriots move any way, shape, or form towards that end zone. That's why the Patriots only scored three points before running back the punt return with like 10 seconds left in the game that ended up being the only touchdowns scored and the game-winning touchdown to boot. So when I look at Zach Wilson, I still see some sort of potential with him, but when it comes to the Patriots, he simply just can't do it. And I I can't fathom this. The Jets just beat the Bills. A, they just beat them a couple weeks back. And then they follow it up with this, where they score three points. They're coming off of a bye. And you would think that they would have some sort of rhythm, something to, to go to, to get some sort of kickstart on the offense against this Patriot defense. And they had nothing. So when it comes to the Jets, they got to really consider whether or not that Zach Wilson is going to be the guy for their future. Because as far as I see, I think Joe Flacco may have been a better option than Zach Wilson, just because I don't think Zach's that guy. And not only that, the fact that Zach was told in a press game press conference whether or not that he let down the defense and his answer was no. You got to do better than that, bro. You can't say that when you only have nine completions in a game. You're better than that. You you were given ample opportunities to be able to move that Jets offense to the position and you simply couldn't do it. So the fact that you're deflecting blame in that regard, that's a that's a poor reflection on him and he needs to play better because Man, you can't say that when you only put up nine completions and you threw for 77 yards and the team had two yards of offense in the second half. So I'll leave the Jets part and Zach Wilson there. And then to kick it to the Patriots, I'm not really impressed with the Patriots, to be honest with you. The only thing that I'm impressed with is their defense. Their defense is the only reason that they're going to be a viable team moving forward because this offense, they're just not that good. And it's not because of max inconsistencies, I think it really comes down to the offensive linemen. The offensive linemen are failing. They gave up six sacks to that Jets defense today. Give credit where credit is due. The Jets definitely deserve a lot of credit for their defensive performance. They played an A-plus performance as far as I'm concerned. And when it comes to the Patriots playing against the Jets, they've given up 12 sacks against them in the two matchups this year. Granted, they've won both of them. I don't know how. But they were able to get wins in both of those matchups. And despite the fact that Mac was relatively good in this game, he only had like three or four incompletions. They just can't move the ball towards the red zone and get touchdowns. It's an absolute struggle for this team to get touchdowns in any way, shape, or form. And I think this really kind of goes back to the play calling issue in the coaching personnel. Because when it comes to Matt Patricia, there are just some play calls where I'm just kind of baffled at the selection. And it's really indicative of 
what I would say the gap between what Josh McDaniels was calling for plays last year and this year. It just seemed like Mac had a better control of the offense last year in his rookie season compared to this year. It just seems like everything is disjointed. And to a larger extent, the entire offense just seems dysfunctional because of that. Granted, they're still winning. They're at a 6-4 and four record. It's not because of the offense. It's because of the defense. So if the Patriots are going to be some sort of playoff team, they got to get this offense rolling because they actually have some decent pieces to work with. But I think it's going to be an uphill battle for them. They probably lost David Andrews for the year. He suffered a pretty significant thigh injury. And the Patriots were banking on him to come back because he'd been dealing with some injuries throughout the season. And you could tell that they missed his presence. And with him potentially out for the rest of the year, that offensive line is going to continue to struggle. And we'll just kind of see what happens with the Patriots moving forward. But they are sitting at a 6-4 record. They own the tiebreaker over the Jets. But they still got to play teams like the Bills. And I believe they played the Dolphins one more time. And I think that both of those teams are better than the Patriots. So the Patriots got a long way to go as far as I'm concerned. And if I had to guess whether or not they're going to make the playoffs... I'm actually going to say no. I don't think they have the pieces to be able to make some sort of playoff run. If they do, they'll make it by the skin of their teeth. And it will be the defense leading the way. It will not be because of the offense. Because the offense is too dysfunctional. So, Kev, my rant's over with. You can take it from here, bro. Dude, I have rant, ranted and raved about my teams forever. So please do not ever apologize for going through what you just did. Mine are normally a lot longer. So I'll just keep this brief. Zach Wilson, you're soft. I don't want to hear it. Like you're, 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 you're charming soft. I, to, to quote Kyle, how dare you rebuttal with no to a straight out question. Do you feel like you let the defense down when you put up two total yards of offense Negative 21 yards, mind you, of passing yards in the second half. Again, negative 21 passing yards. Not offense, not rushing, passing. You suck, period. You're not the savior. You're not the guy that was from BYU. Kyle and I talked about this over and over and over pre-draft when you were drafted. Your sample size was not something that was impressive. You didn't play anybody, and in big games, you falter. The Jets are reliant solely upon running the ball and solid defense. And once again, when you put the ball in Zach Wilson's hands, like I predicted, you're, you're not going to be productive. I don't have faith in him. If there's a big game on the line, if there's a drive, you're down one point, you just got to get in the field goal range. I don't have faith that Zach Wilson can do that. Uh, Kyle, do you have faith? I don't. This nope. is a joke. Zero percent of me has faith in Zach Wilson moving forward. Oh, Kev, he's only played a total of like one full season. You got to let him develop. It's always let somebody develop, and we're not paying attention to what we're doing here. Nine completions, negative 21 yards in the second half. Bro, it's over. Bro, I'm done with you. At that point, I'm looking to put in Joe Flacco for some reps, like Kyle said. I'm looking to maybe trade Zach Wilson, try to get a real quarterback. The defense that the Jets have right now is too good to let time waste. The AFC East is only going to get better because the quarterbacks in this division are Mac Jones, Josh Allen, and Tua Tagovailoa. All of them are in their 20s. This is only going to get worse as they get better throughout their careers. The defenses of each team in this division are very good, obviously led by Buffalo's defense and, of course, New England. You can make an argument that the Jets' defense might be better than New England. It, it really depends, but it's just a matter of... The Jets underperform when Zach Wilson has to lead the way. And for me, 
usually a quarterback leading the way is when I'm most comfortable. Having a good running attack, a good offensive line, and all that stuff. But you need someone that's going to put up points. Zach Wilson's not that guy. Kudos to Bill Belichick for once again taking away the most important thing, which was the run game from the Jets. Found a way to get another huge win, and they moved to 6-4, and four, when a lot of us, including Kyle, who's a Patriots fan, thought that this season wasn't necessarily a wash, but he didn't really have much faith that this team would be very good this year. And again, neither did I. Here we are, 11 weeks in, Zach Wilson has an opportunity to take over this game multiple times, as it was a literal 0-0, basically, score game to the whole, through the whole way, because it was tied. And he couldn't muster not one drive. I'm over him. I think that he's washed. I don't, I don't think he was ever good, should I say. And I'm ready to pack it up and get rid of him. If I'm a Jets fan, bro, I'm out. I'm done. You can't beat the team that I need you to beat every year. You cannot beat the Patriots. You beat the Bills, woo. Congratulations. You followed up with this performance. Trash. I have no faith in you. And that's all I'm going to say. Kev, I, I did forget to mention this in my little diatribe rant, whatever you want to call it. This is the 14th time in a row the Patriots have beaten the Jets. That's not healthy. 14 times in a row. That's and this, not healthy. And this, honestly, if I'm on that defense, speaking about the Jets, this is the game that they should have won. 100%. This was, this was the game. You hold the Patriots to ten to three points. Three points. Because it was a spe- special team. The thing. special teams got the, got the touchdown. But you hold them to three points and you lose? Bro, I'd be pissed. Especially if my freaking quarterback goes out there and says he's not the reason why we lost. That's a bad look. Especially Bro, it's when Robert Salah's. It's Robert Salah's fault. You didn't know. It's all the head coach's fault. It's the defense's fault. It's the special team's fault. You know what? It's the punter's fault for punting the ball to Marcus. It's the punter's fault. Everybody's it's- with Zach's. Negative 21, bro. I'm going I'm to I'm keep that number in my mind for the rest of the season. Negative fucking 21 passing in yards. Se- in the second half. In the second and half. And you're going to say no? Bro, if I'm anybody on that defense, I'm looking at you in the locker room with the dirtiest look like... Like, what are you what saying? Did you, what, like, did you, what did you do today? Like, you come to work, and this is what you do? And you get paid more than me? Like, it'd be one thing if you put up, like, like 150 yards, but... He like threw the game losing interception or something like that. It would be different. No. Two good, total bro. yards. Two total yards in the second half. Two. Of offense. Yeah. Total offense. Right. Negative 21 in uh, passing. I'm not I know. I'm not gonna stop repeating that. That is that might be one of the worst second half stat lines I've ever seen in my life. Not, not- For him to make me laugh in the mood that I'm in is so funny. Because the amount of hype Jet fans had, Zach Wilson's the guy. He's mobile. We have good receivers. We have a good offensive line. We had the best draft. That doesn't fix the fact that your quarterback is ass. It doesn't. <laughs> yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a rough scene. It's a rough scene when it comes to Jets fans and probably their feelings with Zach Wilson. But I, I mean, I'll tell you what. When it comes to those New York radio stations on Monday morning, bro, it's going to be a bloodbath for Zach Wilson. Absolute bloodbath. And Kevin, you know best. Oh, yeah. Those New York sports radio shows, they are not going to hold back in any way, shape, or form. Especially when... I, I can't ho- wait. When Homeboy throws only 77 yards the entire game. Yeah. And you say, nah, I wasn't really the reason why we lost or I didn't let the defense down. Soft. Like, Soft. Really? Really? Soft. That's a, that's a clown move. Like, for you to say that to the media directly... 
Like, I know you weren't home. You're in Foxborough. It's still a pretty big... Like, Boston's a pretty big city, obviously. You have nerve. Like, you know for a fact that quote is going to get taken out of context. You know for a fact that that quote is going to be replayed throughout the rest of this season. You know for a fact that you're going to have probably a talking to from Robert Salas saying, did you really want to handle it that way? Like, Because he was probably thinking, well, I wasn't on the field when we gave up that touchdown. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault. Yeah, because negative 21 yards passing wasn't your fault. Okay. Anyway... Before we continue to spiral down that internal hole of what seems to be an endless Wait, mockery of Zach Wilson. But, but, oh, okay, but, final before point. We move, before we move on, was that indicative of how good the Patriots defense was or was how bad that Zach Wilson was? Or was it a mixture of both? No, I would definitely say the Patriots defense because Zach Wilson has shown that he can put up 100 yards and that's saying something and I'm completely bashing him once again. I'm insulting him. And I, and I mean it. When you could put up 100, 125 yards passing, but the Patriots keep him to 70-something... And then, obviously, three interceptions the prior game. I would say it's 100% Pat's defense. Like It's like, yeah, turn it up whenever you play the Jets. It's like you look at them, and you're like, I smell bitch in here. Like, it's like, there's no other way, bro. 14 times in a row was the last time you guys lost. Was that like the Mark Sanchez years or some shit? It's been a while. It was probably... No, because Mark Sanchez is what, 2010? Ryan Fitzpatrick. Okay, so that was a minute ago. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's been a hot minute. I mean, 14 times, what, that's seven years? Yeah, I think the last time we lost, it was an overtime 2015. game. 2015. Yeah, we I think we lost to Ryan Fitzpatrick. It was an overtime game. Jeez. So, I, I, and you know the crazy thing is, I think they beat Malcolm Butler on the game-winning touchdown two in the corner. I actually remember the play. I forget who caught it, who caught the touchdown pass, but I'm pretty sure they beat Malcolm Butler on the play. Was it Brandon Marshall? I don't remember who caught it. It was 2015. Yeah, it, maybe even the, Eric Decker. It doesn't really the, matter. The, the, the fact that I even remembered that Malcolm Butler got torched on it is kind of hysterical. Some some plays burn in your mind. Like, I'll never forget Tracy Porter getting the pick six in the Super Bowl. I mean, it's a Super Bowl, but still. Yeah, the, you run the opposite end on that one. That, that, that's a tough place to be in, especially in the Super Bowl. But yeah. no, to move on, um, actually, let's give a quick update. Quick of update. The, yeah, I was about yeah. to say the same thing. Yeah, quick update of the uh, Chiefs and Chargers game. Uh, the Chargers are up 27-23 to 23 with under two minutes to go. And this has been really a back-and-forth game. Um, if I remember correctly, the Chargers were up 20-13 to 13 at halftime. Uh, the Chiefs went on a 10-0 run to go up 23-20, to 20, and then the Chargers mat- would not only match it, they take the lead with a 27-23 to 23 lead. And um, when this game does go final, we'll... Um, I guess we'll have sort of some sort of like instant reaction to the end of the game. But Kevin was like I said last week, my heart was with the Chargers. And it was simply just because they had some players coming back from injury. But we'll see what happens in this last minute and a half. We'll see whether or not that uh Pat can come through here because they're moving. Say, they're at midfield. I will say though, that Patrick Mahomes this year and some of these last minute Clutch drives, moments. he's fallen short. That Bills yep. game, he threw the game-losing interception. You remember very fondly against Indianapolis. So we'll see what he could do here. But it's in his hands right now. We'll see what happens. But yep. with that said, we will transition to our next game on the agenda. And that is going to be, well, I should say Kevin's two teams that he probably follows the most. And that is going to be the Eagles and Colts game. Very close game. The Eagles escape Indianapolis with a one-point win. Um, the Eagles are in a little bit of a tricky situation here. Um, 
they lost their weeks, undefe- yeah. their undefeated season ended last week and then following it up going to Indianapolis with only a one point win. Things are a little bit dicey. Things are a little bit shaky when it comes to the Eagles right now. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, the Eagles did beat the Indianapolis Colts this past weekend, but where do you think that their standing is right now after this Colt win this past weekend? I would say that the Eagles, obviously being 9-1, and one, Minnesota lost. They're still the best team in the NFC as of right now. Um, however, the last two weeks have indicated the Eagles' offense has disappeared. They, outside of that fourth quarter score, there's not a lot of faith. Granted, they played a pretty solid defense today. I, I'm not going to toot our own horn, but the defense is the one aspect of my team I can say is is solid and is probably better than average. But when you struggle to score as much as you did, when you turn the ball over the way that you did in terms of the two fumbles that they had, it becomes a concern. Last week, they had a bunch of fumbles. This week, they had two fumbles, and they were struggling against another bad football team. Like, let's be frank. The Colts are not a good football team. The Commanders are not the greatest football team. They should have blown us out by a mile. Um, Shaquille Leonard was out. Um, You know, our offensive line is inconsistent week in and week out. Obviously, Matt Ryan is back in at quarterback, so the mobility factor there in in terms of instead of being Sam Ellinger... I mean, did the uh, what we also didn't have Isaiah Rogers Sr. because he got hurt in the first quarter with a concussion. We were thin, and yet we were in this game. We had the lead throughout the entire game, and I'm going to circle against the one point that I have been saying for years. We didn't run the ball effectively. Oh, Jonathan Taylor had 22 touches. What are you talking about? In the first drive, he had seven of those touches. In the, the rest of that half, he had five. No, no, four, because Deion Jackson had one. I want to know that in after the first touchdown, the Colts had one, two, three, four drives. Jonathan Taylor starts the ball four times. On the first drive, he had seven. I'm going to repeat it one more time. The first drive of the game that led to our only touchdown, he touched the ball seven times, and we scored. The rest of the first half, the whole first half, which is the remainder of the first two quarters, two 15-minute periods, he touched it four. On what planet does it make sense to not continue to beat up a defense that clearly cannot stop the run? On what planet does it make sense to not feed your best player on offense the ball, who was in a rhythm and in that drive, he did not lose a single yard in the first drive. He had a run for no gain, but again, he did not lose a single yard. So all plays were positive except for one. And we don't do it again. And we give him the ball in bad situations in the second half. Second and 14, first and 15. What, and again, we're up, so they know that they have to stack the box. And it's late in the third quarter after we've passed the ball 30-some-odd times. So we continue to make the same mistakes. I used to blame Frank for this. Now it seems like it's an organizational thing because Marcus Brady's not there, Frank Reich is not there, and we have a 30-year-old, five-year, tenured, former assistant quarterbacks coach as our offensive coordinator in Parks Frazier. So the kid, because he's only two years older than me, and people call me kid, so I'm going to call him a fucking kid. The kid looked great. First drive, it was pass, run, run, whatever the order of it was, but it was seven rushes to score. I was like, finally, we've broken the narrative. Jonathan Taylor had over 160 yards last week. 
We back, baby. Run the damn football is back. The offensive line's confidence is back. This is going to be great. The Eagles look soft today. Like, the way we were able to move the ball, I was like, we good. We lit. We here. We about to make them eight and two. No. I'm silly. It's like, it's like that, that Tricks commercial. Silly rabbit. Tricks are for kids. Silly, Kevin. The Colts don't win important games. Like, we beat the Raiders last week. Whoop-de-fucking-do. Like, they had two wins at the time. Like, this is a team that you need to beat. This is a team that you want to make all these narratives throughout the week. Oh, Jeff Saturday's culture is changing it. Or Jeff Saturday's mentality is changing the culture. All the players rallying, rallying around uh, how Jeff was able to coach and figure it out and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, clearly we still don't know what the fuck we're doing. Clearly we still have no concept of how to run an offense in the NFL. Clearly we don't know how to utilize the best player on the offense. So, yes, we lost and the Eagles won. One point, a win is a win, whether it's by one point or 50. It doesn't make a difference. They come out with a win. The Colts got shit to work on. Left tackle, still an issue. Play calling, still an issue. Obviously, at the end of the day, the receiving core outside of Michael Pittman, still an issue. I don't really know what else to say here. Our defense was spectacular for the majority of the game. The only issue or qualm that I have, it was third and goal at the 11 or 12 uh, with less than two minutes to go. And I think it was like a minute 34, whatever it was. Jalen Hurts, quarterback sneaks right up the middle, wasn't touched. I can't say anything because the defense damn near played a perfect game all game long until that one possession. I said it. I tweeted it midway through the third quarter. I said, there's going to be one drive that's going to kill us. That was the drive. It is what it is. Penalties, it was a sloppy game on both sides. Obviously, at the end of the day, Jalen Hurts looked really good. He had two touchdowns, obviously one to Quez Rogers, and then a rushing touchdown late in the game. But this is what it is, man. We do this every single week. We, uh, we play too close to the vest. We forget how to play football. And, you know, the Eagles, like I said, again, they have to figure out what is happening because this is back-to-back weeks. They looked not just beatable, but they looked horrible. And if it wasn't for the fact that they played a bad football team today, if this was anybody, if this was Tennessee, if this was Buffalo, this would have been a blowout because we had plenty of opportunities to score and we either got sacked out of field goal range, we missed a 50-yard field goal, or every time we had momentum, we just weren't able to capitalize because of play calling. Neither here nor there. Philly moves to 9-1. and one. We go back to 4-6-1. and one, And that's the game. Bottom line, yes, I'm happy for Philly because at the end of the day, the other team that I cheer for is moving forward. But my team, the team that I cheer for week in and week out, sadly enough, just continues to look like an abomination. I mean, just to kind of focus on the Eagles first, uh, the Eagles are in what I would consider is a dicey territory right now. They flat out got destroyed by the commanders on Monday night just a couple days ago. It wasn't even that long ago. And granted, they were able to rebound, but... I wouldn't say it was necessarily in the most convincing fashion because, Kev, like you outlined, and this is not to rub salt in the wounds here, and I never mean it as such, but it's like you said. The Colts are not that good of a football team. Offensively, they aren't, but defensively, it's the only reason why the Colts are still viable as far as I see it. And that Colts defense, give them credit. They made life for Jalen Hurts and that Eagles offense extremely difficult to be able to move the ball up and down the field effectively and Kev, at what point were the eagles down 10 points you said it was 13 to 3 earlier we were talking about it before we started recording it was 13 Half. to 3 at that like at that point you know, one thing's going to have to actually, happen. No, it, actually, no, excuse me. I, I take that back. It was 10 to three and a half. We scored a field goal after they fumbled on the opening possession of that, of the, of the third quarter. 
and all we could amount was a field goal, and we got the ball yeah. damn near in the red zone. So, so thirteen to three. So, the one thing that's really been what I would say a troubling issue with the Eagles so far in these last couple of games is that they're turning the ball over a lot more frequently. The first, what was it, eight games of the season, they had three turnovers the entire eight-game stretch that they were undefeated. In the last two games, they're one and one. They have five turnovers. They had three against the Commanders, and then they had two more against the Colts. And to me, like when I look back at that Commanders game, some of those turnovers that they had came at the worst time possible because there were drives where they were moving the ball against that Commanders defense, and then they would have these turnovers that would just set them back, and they couldn't dig themselves out of the hole. Now, granted, against the Colts, they were able to do that simply just because the Colts, from an offensive perspective, they just don't have the firepower or really the effectiveness to be able to execute at a high enough level compared to what the Commanders did just a couple days ago. And yet, the Eagles were only able to win by one point against a subpar football team in the Colts. Now, I've been of the mindset that the Eagles needed to go through a stretch like this because even though that their schedule for the rest of the year is relatively easy, I would much rather them struggle in some of these regular season games to where they know the mistakes that they're making, they can be able to adjust from those mistakes and bounce back and really kind of use those mistakes as motivation and fuel to really go on a hot stretch before going into the playoffs. And as far as I see it, the Eagles are still one of the more solid teams in the NFC as far as I see it. They're still at the top of the pecking order, right alongside maybe Dallas and I would say Minnesota, but Dallas just wrecked Minnesota this past weekend. So I may have to amend that statement a little bit. But the Eagles, I think, are still in a relatively decent place here. Obviously, these last two games have been a little bit concerning with the amount of turnovers that they've been having. But if they're able to resolve those turnover issues and they're able to run the ball a little bit more effectively and just kind of get more points on the board, I need to see more production from A.J. Brown because A.J. Brown the last couple of weeks against the Commanders and the Colts, he's been, I don't want to say a no-show, but he's had a difficult time being able to get some plays for the Eagles offense. So this Eagles team... They're relatively still solid. You know, they're sitting at a nine and one record. So it could be a lot worse. You know, they could be in a situation where, you know, they're sub 500 and they're not going to make the playoffs. That's not the case here. But overall, I think the Eagles are going to be all right. It's just they got to work through these turnover issues. And if they're able to do that and maybe clean up some of the penalties, they'll be fine. Like I said, I'd much rather them have these issues in the regular season that they can resolve instead of them showing up in the playoffs where if they show up at the worst time, they're done. Might end at a loss and it will end their season. But at least in the regular season, they could be able to bounce back from these issues. So when it comes to the Eagles, I think they'll be fine. It sucks because my team lost. You know, like I said, it's just one of those situations where you're like, shit, we had that one. Um. Yeah, I mean, I will give Jeff Saturday credit. We've looked better the course of the last two weeks because the offensive line has looked significantly improved. We're still allowing sacks. We're not perfect. But at the end of the day, we are limiting pressures and we are finding ways to adjust in terms of like stunts and keeping the quarterback upright. So I am, again, satisfied with our play as of late. But that doesn't equivalent to clearly a win today. So 
we'll move on and we'll kind of let that one go. I don't really have oh. much else to say because then my, my blood pressure is going to go nuts. By the way, we do have a final in the Chiefs and Chargers game. The Chiefs do it again. Chiefs go on the road. They beat the Chargers by the score of 30 to 27. Patrick Mahomes leads the game winning drive. I believe he connected with Travis Kelsey on the game winning touchdown with about 25, 30 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Herbert throws and the, an interception to lose it. And the Chiefs bump up to 8 2 on the season. Chargers fall back to a 500 record at a 5 and 5 record. Can um, I just kind of give like an instant reaction? I, granted, I know we didn't watch this game, but we both did pick the Chiefs to win this game. And this was a game that I think both you and I saw the Chargers having a little bit of glimmer of hope simply just because of some of the players that they were getting back. But just what were your overall thoughts just on the Chiefs getting this win? I mean, the Chiefs are the best team in football, man. It's like they they do it every week. They find ways to scrummage up wins. I know that they struggle in certain instances, but this week they were able to actually capitalize in multiple facets. Dude, Isaiah Panchero, Pacheco. Pacheco. Pacheco, he had 107 yards by himself. He, he averaged seven yards a carry. The Chiefs had 163 yards on the ground. Nuts. I don't remember the last time the Chiefs had that many rushing yards. Pat Mahomes goes off for almost 330 yards, three touchdowns, was only sacked one time. And the Chiefs' defense went crazy. They sacked Justin Herbert five times. Found a way to force that game-clinching interception, and they move on. You know, they go to the next game. It's a divisional game. It's the Chargers. They always play them tough. Keenan Allen has a decent game back. Mike Williams only has one catch. Keenan Allen has 94 yards. Joshua Palmer had 106. Like, they were able to move, and the Chargers were able to get over 100 yards on the ground. But overall, the Chiefs are just a better team, not only on paper, but clearly live action and in person. So at the end of the day, not a surprise. Travis Kelsey has another three-touchdown game. I know he had four against... Oh my God, I can't remember who it was. It was another big game. Was it the Was it the Raiders game? Was that the game he scored four touchdowns? I don't know if he scored four touchdowns. The four touchdowns is kind of crazy. No, he scored four touchdowns in a game. I just can't remember which game it was. Like I know for a fact he had a four touchdown game because um, we were recording that night too, and we were watching that game. I, it, it was a primetime game. That's the only reason why I think it was the Raiders it might, game. But it again, might, I, I might have been the Raiders. It might have been. Nevertheless, kudos to the Chiefs. To me, it wasn't a surprise. I mean, it did look like a little bit of an issue at the end of the game, or should I say at halftime being down, but Pat Mahomes found a way to come back, do what he needed to do, and again, Justin Herbert and those boys continue to struggle. You remember what I said? I've already said it a couple times in the episode already. Like, my heart was thinking the Chargers. Oh, yeah. And But I went up here. I went, I went with my head on this one, and I think, um, I think you had the margin of victory for the Chiefs being I had it, I had bigger. it big. I had it like four I had it like 14 yeah. 17 points, yeah. I th- I think I only had it like 3 or 4. I I'd have to go back and and listen to what our predictions was, but I I, I think this is only going to be like a one possession game in my mind. And you know, it lived up to that expectation. I mean, this was a great game. Granted, um we didn't really get a chance to watch it just because we've been recording, but no, I mean, to me just to kind of round out the game itself. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is that dude, I mean, he's probably the MVP leader at this point, and he leads a game-winning drive by connecting with Travis Kelsey for their third touchdown between that duo together. And it just seems to me, whenever the Chiefs go on the road to play the Chargers, it seems as if like Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, they're on the same page to where the point where they just kind of own that Chargers defense because there have been multiple games in the past where the Chiefs have gone – 
up against the Chargers on the road. And that magic connection between Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey has just lit up that Chargers defense. And in this game, it's no exception. So three touchdowns, including the game-winning one. And, you know, with the result, the Chiefs bounce up to an 8-2 and two record. Kevin, it's like you said, they're, they're probably the best team in the NFL. You could make a case for some other teams out there, like the Eagles or the Cowboys. You could make a case for the Vikings, but you can't make that case anymore after they got smoked by Dallas. But the Chiefs are just consistent. They got Patrick Mahomes. This team is always finding a way to win. And even though that Patrick Mahomes wasn't the most efficient in this game, when he needed to step up, he made the plays that needed to be made. And that's why the Chiefs are sitting at an 8-2 record. And when it comes to the Chargers, they're close. At least they were able to get some of their personnel back. And I think as we go into what I would consider like the last third of the season, I think they will make a much more presentable force in the AFC West now that they have some of their offensive personnel back. Granted, there's some defensive personnel that they're not getting back, like Joey Boza and J.C. Jackson. But I will say, keep an eye on the Chargers for the next month and a half or so. We're going to see whether or not this team can be able to establish some sort of run to make some sort of for to make some sort of show to potentially make the playoffs. But if they keep losing these one position games, these heartbreakers, they may find themselves on the outside looking in going into the playoffs. And that's where they found themselves last year. They had a chance to go to the playoffs last year against the Raiders in the last game of the year. And they fell short. Granted, it was one of the more compelling games from last season, but Justin Herbert, these are just growing pains as far as I see it with him. And he's got to be able to work through these, but I will say, Give the Chargers a little bit of credit. They pushed the Chiefs in this game and almost got a win out of it. But going up against that dude, Patrick Mahomes, it happens. It's happened to the best of them. So, oh, well with the Chargers. We'll see what happens with them going forward. But, yeah, the Chiefs Chiefs are nice. Like, they're not going anywhere. They're fine. Yeah, no, it's uh, – and I was right. It was the Raiders. Uh, Travis had four. So, that's just absolutely insane that – tight end in just two games has seven touchdowns and oh, granted oh, both are divisional games oh in fantasy he must have cooked he must have had probably somewhere of like 25 to 30 points with those three touchdowns and he had over 100 yards receiving if i remember correct yeah so nuts they're, they're eight and two bro best team in the afc as far as i see it right now and potentially the nfl so we'll have our power rankings out later this week so you actually get to do those this week so yeah but that'll definitely be an interesting uh, power ranking list when we get there later this week. But with that said, we're going to transition to our last game of discussion from this past weekend. And that is going to be the Lions and the Giants game. So the Lions defeat the Giants on the road, winning by the score of 31-18. to 18. Kind of a shocking result, just purely looking at the Giants this year. The Giants have been one of the better teams in the NFC this year, but they fall short in this one. They lose by two possessions to the Lions. And not only that, the Giants definitely took a hit in the injury department. They've got a bunch of injuries from this game and some of them being fairly significant and it could actually affect their last third of the season if some of these guys that are dealing with injuries are not able to come back with them or not able to come back from them sooner rather than later. So Kev, to kick this one to you, with the Giants losing this past weekend to the Lions and sustaining the amount of injuries that they did, how concerned are you with them going into the late stages of November 
going into December? I mean, I would I, personally, this isn't speaking for Giants fans. I would say this puts me in an immediate panic for the Giants as a whole. They lost six people due to injury this game. And their number one receiver, or should I say number one projected receiver in Wendell Robinson, actually got hurt, grabbed his knee, was in immediate pain. The Giants fear for the worst. It could be a potential ACL injury. We will wait for further evaluation. But from what it looked to be, again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a, a physical therapist. None of that. It looked to be a pretty significant injury. Then the Giants go and lose two cornerbacks in Adoree Jackson and Fabian Morneau, one with a knee injury, the other one with ribs. They lose a safety, Jason Pinnock. Uh, he hurt his jaw. They lost two offensive linemen, John Feliciano in a neck injury, and then their right tackle, Tyree Phillips, also had a neck injury. Dude, that's like a rap sheet of like seasonal injuries. We're talking about that happened in one game. And the Giants just, as a whole, they turned the ball over three times. Daniel Jones had to throw the ball, what was it, 44 times, and they were just unable to run the football. I mean, outside of Daniel Jones' 50 yards on the ground, averaging seven yards per carry, the Giants ran for 22 plus 13. That is 35 plus 4. 39 yards if it wasn't for Daniel Jones. Saquon Barkley had 15 rushes for 22 yards. He averaged 1.5 yards per carry. That is 100% kudos and shout-outs to Detroit's defense. Detroit locked down, did what they needed to do, put the pressure and ball in Daniel Jones's hand, and he wasn't able to follow suit. Had a horrible QBR of 39. Uh, he had two interceptions, and he was sacked twice. So I will say that the, the Lions are on a three-game win streak right now. They are currently <laughs> they are second in the NFC North, which is just hysterical because they own the tiebreaker over the uh, Green Bay Packers. And I'm looking at this, and I'm saying... Well, you know, who the hell did something for them? Like, how did this happen? Oh, wait, hold on a second. The the Lions ran for 160 yards. That is a that's a that's a pretty that's a crap ton of yards. And you know, Justin Jackson, Jamal Williams, and you know, DeAndre Swift didn't even do much aside from his one touchdown because Justin Jackson had 66 yards, Jamal Williams had 64 yards and three touchdowns. What are you supposed to do with that? Jared Goff didn't have to do much. He had to be a game manager, not turn the ball over, and gain first downs on, on third and long and whatever have you, and he did just that. I mean, let's be honest here. The Lions look relatively solid the last couple of weeks. I'm not going to sit here and say they're going to be a dark horse playoff team, but when you go out and you win three in a row this late in the season, you beat a Packers team. I'm not saying that they're good, but you beat a Packers team, a division rival. You go beat a Bears team, which came down to the wire. Justin Fields is one of the hottest quarterbacks in the NFL. You beat them by one, another division rival. Then you go and beat the Giants. Three solid teams in terms of if you're the Detroit Lions, those are three games that you're expected to lose by a decent amount. And you only win. Now, this next game is going to be a pretty solid testament. They play the Bills on Thanksgiving. That's going to be interesting. And by interesting, I mean the Bills should blow them out. But I also thought that the Giants would blow them out today, personally. So again, I can't really say much because the Bills have struggled against some pretty odd teams as of late so i'm not going to sit here and say that for sure this is going to be a win we all know that when me and kyle make definitive predictions i would probably say six out of ten times we're wrong lately but overall man i got to give detroit their flowers they look like a completely different team dan campbell was on the hot seat people were saying that we need to break it down trade okuda get rid of goff's contract and just completely gutter the team and rebuild and i'm not saying that they were wrong in that moment because it looked like dan campbell as good of a guy as he was as good of a player's coach as he was wasn't getting it done. This three-game win streak could potentially save his job because it's showing that this team does have grit. It does have fight in them, and they're not willing to settle because of the mediocrity they've had in the past. So kudos to the Lions. Uh, for the Giants' sake, I would say that the injuries were a big portion of why they lost this game. But again, 
there's no excuses. It's next man up, as everybody says every week. So I'm looking at this and I'm saying, let's figure out how long these players will be out and how much time they will miss if they do miss time and calculate it from there because they also have a Thursday night game in Thanksgiving against a division rival in Dallas. So um, I would assume the majority of these players are probably going to miss that game because you only have three days to prepare, but we will see and play it as it goes. But again, shout out to the Lions, man. Three games is pretty difficult for a team that's been scrutinized as hard as they have. I think when it comes to the Giants, I think they're actually going to be in some legit trouble here. I'm not saying like it's going to be like a doom and gloom scenario where, you know, the panic meters at 10 and they got to scramble to get back into position here. I don't see it as that, but with the amount of injuries that they sustained against the Lions, that's going to be a tricky one to be able to bounce back against the Cowboys. And Kev, we saw what the Cowboys did to the Vikings this past weekend. I mean, they put an absolute beat down on Minnesota. Now, granted, the first time that the Cowboys and the Giants played, it was relatively close, but Cooper Rush was Cooper. the quarterback. Now you got Dak, and seeing him do what he did with this offense against the Vikings, if you're the Giants, this is going to be a very difficult scenario to go in on Thanksgiving Day. And look, when it comes to the Giants, to me, their entire success is, I would say, it's more inclined on the defense to be able to really kind of carry the bulk of the weight here for, as far as them getting wins. Just because when it comes to Daniel Jones and his overall effectiveness, it's very hit or miss. And in large part, when it comes to the offense, a lot of the success that they've seen this year has been on the back of Saquon Barkley. And Saquon has been relatively healthy this year, which is actually a great thing to see just because we know what he's capable of. But Daniel Jones just doesn't really do it for me as far as being able to really put this offense in a situation where they can consistently put scoring drives together because he's just not that good of a quarterback as far as I see it. And this was an ample opportunity for the Giants to really take control of their own destiny. Had they won this game, they would have been sitting at an 8-2 and record. And you lose to a team that has one of the worst defenses, if not the worst defense, when it comes to allowing points. If I remember correctly, the Lions have allowed the most amount of points compared to any other defense in the NFL. And yet the Giants were only able to put up 18 points at home against the Lions. The Lions had a difficult time even scoring points against the Packers a couple weeks ago. And the Packers have been a tire fire this year. And I'm just kind of surprised that the Giants with this anemic against what I would consider a very subpar defense. And look, give credit to the Lions. The Lions have been on a three-game winning streak. They've definitely been playing at a higher level in this last month stretch that they've had. But I picked the Giants to win this game, not convincingly, but rather comfortably. And for them to lose by two possessions at home, it's a little bit of a dicey situation for them moving forward because if you look at their next four games, they're all divisional games. The first one takes place on Thanksgiving night or Thanksgiving afternoon going into the evening. Then you got the Commanders, and the Commanders have been on a good little stretch the last couple weeks. Then they got to go up against the Eagles, and the Eagles are one of the best teams in the NFL as far as their record is concerned. And then they got to play the Commanders once again on the road about a week out before Christmas. And then they got to play the Vikings on Christmas Eve. So their next five games are going to be tricky. This is not going to be an easy stretch for the Giants, and the Giants really kind of need to get this thing together sooner rather than later because 
if they go on a losing streak here, they could potentially be out of the playoffs. I mean, we kind of have to see how the NFC wildcard situation works out because they could still find a way to maybe get one of the last spots available, but they got to get this offense rolling if they're going to have any sort of success because the defense can only keep up so long before they break. It's more of a bend but don't break type of mindset with them, but when the offense isn't putting up points, that defense is going to break more times than not, and that's what we saw against the Lions. So, you know, good on the Lions for being able to maintain their winning streak. We'll see if they're able to continue it, but when it comes to the Giants, Giants got a lot of work here, especially on the offensive side of the ball because they're putting the defense in a terrible situation, and they're doing them no favors in that regard. So, yeah, the Giants definitely need to get it together. God, I want them to win so bad for the sake of, like, not win the Super Bowl, but like, home. Yes, I. uh, Most of my friends are Giants fans, and I obviously love Saquon Barkley for obvious reasons. And again, the home team factor just kind of just make a big piece of that. But I don't know, man. Injuries like that: two offensive linemen, two corners, and a safety, plus one of your up and coming wide receivers. It just it doesn't bode well. What? However, that's going to be worded for it. It just, it doesn't look good. Yeah, it's just, I mean, look, I think the Giants are still a relatively decent team. I mean, the record indicates that, but I think you kind of almost have to put them in a similar type of category when it comes to the Vikings, because the way that I see it with those two teams in particular is they've won these really close one possession games. And when it comes to the Vikings in their past, they usually lost those games. But they've been winning them this year, and that's been the difference. It's really been the difference in their storyline this year. When it comes to the Giants, it's kind of a similar thing with them. The only thing is, though, I think their offense is a lot more subpar than what the Vikings have. And I'm not basing that off of what the Vikings just did against Dallas by only scoring three points. We know that the Vikings' offense is better than what they did against Dallas. But when it comes to the Giants and their offense, if Saquon isn't killing it, this offense is maybe going to put up. 20, 24 points. Maybe, if that. And that's kind of pushing it on the 24. It's not like they're going out there and putting up 30, 35 every now and then. You know, a lot of their point totals are in the 20s, maybe even the upper teens. So their defense has really kind of carried the wave for them this year. And if their defense is just bending and eventually getting to the point where they're breaking, the offense has got to be able to step it up. And... Until I see that, I'm not really going to have a lot of faith in the Giants long-term. I may have a little bit of faith in them in possibly making the playoffs just simply just because they have a really good record. But I think it might be a first-round exit for them if they actually get into that type of scenario. Just because True. I don't have faith in Daniel Jones. I just Depending on who they play, it's going to be a tough matchup because if, if it were to happen today, they would be a wild-card team because Philadelphia mm-hmm. would win the division, yep. which means that they would have to go up against either Minnesota... Because Philly would get the bye. It'd be Minnesota, Tampa, or who is in the NFC West? Uh, Seattle. Or, Seattle. or Seattle. They already lost to Seattle. I don't know what the hell they would do against Minnesota. And then obviously if it's Tampa, Tampa I think I'm going to go with Brady all day. Because you, you, you loop in the fact that they have no wide receivers, which means they're going to have to rush the ball with Saquon again. Mm-hmm. Tampa's going to find a way to get... I don't know. Again, I just have faith in, in, in Tom to get it done in the postseason as opposed to Daniel Jones who's never been there. Yeah, they're, they're lucky that the... Um, I would say that they're lucky that they're not going up either against the Cowboys. 
And depending on what sort of wild card spot that they get, I I don't know if they would necessarily play the Eagles. No, I don't think they, I don't think the, they could they, because they, they get the buy. Yeah, unless the Eagles, you know, falter here where they lose yeah. that number one seed. I think if they were to go up either against the Cowboys or the Eagles, I think it's I think it'd be a shit show. And yeah, Giants would lose by two plus possessions, and they play the Eagles two times in the next couple weeks, so it's going to be a yeah. really big testament for the Giants and the Eagles too, because we just talked about how much they've been struggling lately. But that is uh, neither here nor there. We have one mm. final NFL topic, which kind of circles back into the Cowboys a little bit, yep. and uh, that's going to be Odell Beckham Jr. Mm-hmm. So Odell Beckham Jr. was officially medically cleared to play as of the 13th of November. It is obviously the 20th. Well, by the time you guys hear this, 21st. So that'll be eight days post-medical clearance. And right now, he has narrowed it down to supposedly two teams, both in the NFC East, in the New York Giants, which would be a return back to New York after the trade to Cleveland a few years ago. And then um, a tenure with Jerry Jones and the uh, Dallas Cowboys. So Kyle, I'm going to ask this one to you because obviously we both have the same idea as to where we think he's going to end up. But where do you think Odell Beckham Jr. will end up whenever he does decide to sign? I think he should sign with the Cowboys. I think it's pretty cut and concise as far as I see it. The The Cowboys have a lot more to work with as far as just an overall team compared to the Giants. And the Giants, as far as their record concerned, I mean, they're not bad. They're 7-3. and three. They, They're they a solid team so far this year, and they've really been kind of one of the biggest surprises in the NFL this year. But just from a total package perspective, the Dallas Cowboys, they have it all. And I think if you were to insert OBJ into that wide receiving core. Granted, we don't know where he would be at as far as his total effectiveness goes. Would it be something to the level of what he had in the Super Bowl before he tore his ACL? Or would it be something slightly lower than that? We'll kind of see whenever he hits the field again. But I think if you put him in that situation where he's alongside CeeDee Lamb and Michael Gallup, you got a nice little three-man trio in that wide receiving core. And then you got Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott in the backfield with Dak Prescott leading the way at the quarterback position. That'd be quite an offense to look at when it comes to the Dallas Cowboys. And not only that, you also got Dalton Schultz in there at your tight end position. So if you're an opposing defense, it would definitely be a stretch to be able to cover all of those guys effectively, simply just because one of those guys, whether it's from the running back department or the wide receiving core, somebody's going to get open. But I think when it comes to Odell, you know, he is getting older. This is his second torn ACL that he's had to deal with. And we don't know how effective he's he's going to be. Hopefully, when he hits the field, it's just like OBJ from back in the day. And he's able to produce at a high clip. And obviously, I think a lot of people want to see that from him. But those ACL injuries are very tough to come back from. And you, we could look at Chris Godwin, who's playing with the Tampa Bay Bucks this year. He tore his ACL at the beginning of this year, not this season, but back in January when he was playing with the Bucks in the playoffs. And he was never the same. And we don't know whether or not that he's going to be able to live up to that same standard, simply just because ACL injuries are very difficult to come back from. But I think if Odell is smart, I think he knows the situation that's currently presented in front of him. We'll see how the meeting with Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys front office goes, I think it will probably go very well. But I understand the reunion aspect would be kind of cool just, you know, for him to run it back with the Giants. But I think if he has any smarts here, I think he goes with the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys have a much better potential to be able to do something for possibly getting to a Super Bowl this year. 
take that with a grain of salt because they typically find a way to screw things up. But I just think the Cowboys are a much better team and they would definitely present a much better force or have a better show of force when we get to the playoffs this year than the Giants, simply just because the Giants are still a little bit iffy in my mind for them possibly making the playoffs. And if they did, even if they had Odell Beckham Jr., they've got Daniel Jones at the quarterback position. And I have no faith that Daniel Jones is even going to be viable for the Giants. And that's despite the fact that they have one of the best running backs in the league with Saquon Barkley, who's been healthy the entire year. So Odell should probably go to the Cowboys as far as I see it. It would make them an instant NFC contender as far as I see it. And who knows? Maybe the Cowboys might run the table and go all the way to the Super Bowl. I doubt it just because they find a way to screw things up, but they definitely would be a solid team to contend with if they were able to add Odell services to that roster. That's just how I see it. Well, I'm going to agree with Kyle and I'm not going to reiterate everything because I feel like I've been repeating him pretty much all night tonight. Um, I will say that I agree that he's going to go to Dallas and I'm going to take this from a Giants perspective. You have to look at it business-wise. Odell has said two things. I want to compete to win and I want to be committed somewhere long-term. The Giants are winning right now, but let's look at the other factor, long-term. They did not commit to re-signing Daniel Jones on his fifth-year option. They don't have him or any rumor to have him in the near future unless it's going to be a franchise tag. So basically, uh, a year-in, year-out basis. So basically, a tryout every single season. Daniel Jones is not the best quarterback in the world, albeit he's been playing better this season, better than he has his entire career. But is that going to be attributed to their schedule? Was that attributed to the play calling from Dable? Did people adjust to Daniel Jones over the last couple of weeks? I don't know. But if I'm Odell, as awesome as it would be to return home, the team that drafted me, go back to the team that doesn't have the GM that treated me like shit, doesn't have the head coach that ruined my career, and Ben McAdoo, I, 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 don't, I don't think it makes sense for him. As good as they're right now, as much as he would help them with the injuries to the wide receiver core, with Daniel Jones being more of a run-heavy quarterback, with them leaning that offense more towards running the football as a whole, and them having a dwindled wide receiver core as it is, him being the number one option on that team would not benefit him because, A, he would receive that corner that, that team's opposing team's best corner. We don't even know if he's going to be 100%. We don't know how viable he's going to be. We don't even know if the Giants are willing to commit to him long-term. And... If he gets hurt again, the Giants are now stuck with that. Another injury-prone receiver. I don't think it's smart for the Giants to do that as well. So Dallas is the only viable option for, for every reason I just listed. And they're in win-now mode. Dak's locked up. Zeke's locked up. CeeDee Lamb's going to get an extension. Micah Parsons is on a rookie deal. Trayvon Diggs is on his deal. Like You have people to build for the future. Demarcus Lawrence is already on a contract. Like There are a number of players that are already committed to Dallas long-term. Saquon's going to need an extension. Kenny Galladay's got to come off of that roster. Obviously, Darius Slayton's going to want an extension. Wendell Robinson, we have to figure out the injury history there. You have to figure out the offensive line of who you're going to re-sign and let go. Daniel Jones, a question at the quarterback position. The Giants have too many looming question marks for the foreseeable future, including to the end, just to just the end of the season, in my opinion. So for Odell, business-wise, winning-wise, commitment-wise, I'm going to want to be with a team that at least has a better surrounding cast for a longer period of time. And of course, again, I think that Dallas is better than New York at this point, especially with everything that New York has just gone through this weekend. So I think Odell goes to Dallas. If another team were to come out of nowhere, like the Chiefs, like the Packers, I have no idea. It's just a matter of right now he's commit not committed, but the rumors have him circled or tied to two teams. 
we all know in the NFL, you could be tied, you can be in the office, you could be rumored to have signed the contract until the pen reaches the paper. There's a picture of you signing it in the office. I'm not going to believe any rumors until something is actually concrete. So for Odell's sake, I don't want to see him go to Dallas because I think that would just be gross. Uh, as a as a Eagle supporter and a native New Yorker, I've always hated Dallas. So it's like, bleh. um, But overall, if that's what's best for his career, I've loved him as a player since he was a rookie. I loved him in LSU. So let's just hope for the sake, first and foremost, he's healthy and that he can contribute and that he's able to show out and say, listen, I've had two messed up knees. I can still do this thing. So Odell, go, what you, go do what you need to do. You won your Super Bowl. It's time to prove that you can still do what you got to do. I'll know it's real once Adam Schefter reports it on Twitter. Agreed. Once Shefty, the equivalent to Shams in the NBA, it's yeah. then then I know it's legit. Shams or Woj, I mean, those are verified sources as far as I'm concerned. So, no, I think, I think to me it's just how viable is he going to be? Is he 75% of what he was, 80, 85, or is he like closer to 90, 95%? And when it comes to Odell, you know, despite the fact that he's dealt with lingering injury issues before, when he's hit the field, Kev, even with the Rams last year, he still looked like Odell. It wasn't yeah. like he had like this massive drop off where like the athleticism wasn't there. Now, they just had mouths is... to feed with the receiving core that they had. Yeah. And, and you had Cooper Cup, who's just an absolute animal when it gets when it comes to getting targets. So, you know, Odell did his thing when he was with the Rams last year, and he was definitely a pivotal piece for them getting that Super Bowl championship last year. But you know, I just hope that he's ready to go. And, you know, when he hits the field, it's like seeing Odell from years past. You know, obviously, that's, that's the best thing that I could hope for him. And we'll see where it goes. But, yeah, if I if I had to guess, I think if you were smart, I think the Cowboys are probably the best team. Definitely over the Giants. I just, I think if you were to go back to, to the Giants, it'd be for sentimental reasons. And I that would just be a bad business decision to me. Like, they just... I, I just don't think long term. I don't think it's going to work out. Doesn't Especially make sense when Daniel Jones is your quarterback. Dak Prescott is a much better quarterback. It'd be purely for sentimental and is locked down back. for the next few years. Like you don't have to go into training camp saying, "Is but, Danny Dimes coming back this year? Are we getting somebody new?" Like but, you know, what I'm saying there's just so now, many. Now things. here's going to be the interesting part. I just kind of figured. I just kind of thought about this. What's going to happen to CD then? Because CD's going to want an extension. Well, he's going to get an extension regardless. That that so. But Odell, in my opinion, but Odell wants a bag too. Odell's not going to get a bag. This is your second ACL injury. I would expect this is somewhere around the lines of two to three years, eight nine million dollars, like maybe three million a year with incentives, like a good solid vet minimum with incentives. You know, get fifty catches, a couple hundred thousand dollars, make it through the rest of the season, a couple hundred thousand dollars. Like it, it would be one of those deals where it can build up to be it's a, it's incentive ten twelves. Exactly. But Odell needs to understand, this isn't a different knee. This isn't a different injury. This is the same knee that you tore a few years back. Your value immediately diminished. As good as you may look on film, as good as you may look in open field, as good as you may look on seven on seven, when you suit up and get in between the hash marks, how do I know you're going to be able to play next week? Mm -hmm. Point blank period. He's lost a distraction narrative with his tenure in LA because he showed that he was a very big team player. He didn't care about targets. He didn't give a shit about how many looks he got, how many touchdowns. But if you are being brought into a team similar to what he was brought into last year with uh, LA, we are competing to compete for a Super Bowl. You need to understand that you are not going to be the top dog. Whether or not you were, were, and I will emphasize, were better than CeeDee Lamb in your heyday, 
that's not the case anymore. At least we don't know that right now. So play it by ear, be smart, take the bag where you can get it, and choose wisely amongst what team you're going to go to. That's all I'm going to say. It's going to be interesting to see if they're able to land Odell, how they're going to be able to work out all these potential contracts. Because Tony Pollard's going to get a contract extension. It could be with the Cowboys, could be with another team. CD's going to get an extension. Granted, Zeke is already locked up, so they don't have to worry about him. And Dak's going to be fine. I mean, Dak's not going anywhere. But it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of move these pieces around in the puzzle and see how it kind of forms itself uh, as we go into next year, if they land Odell. And we're assuming that, you know, he ends up going there. But we'll see. Time will tell. But with that said, we're going to transition to our last topic of discussion. And that is going to be the Sacramento Kings. And Kev, I'm just going to be honest here. I never envisioned this season we would actually be having a positive discussion about the Sacramento Kings because, Kev, it's very clear that we regard Sacramento as one of like the black holes in the NBA, simply just where careers go to die. But got to be honest, I can't say that right now. Kings have actually been looking very solid the last couple of weeks. Uh, they're currently on a six-game winning streak, and they have a over 500 record. Granted, we're only 15 games in the season with them. There's a lot of time left for them to screw things up and kind of go back to that position that they've been in the last 15 years or so. But I can't say that right now. They're having a very good start. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, how impressed are you with this six-game winning streak that the Kings have been on lately? I'm severely impressed. I mean, the fact that they've mustered up more than two or three wins consecutively is impressive to me. Kyle said it. It's been a dumpster fire, what we always call the Siberia of the NBA, when you send players' careers to die. Um, I mean, the teams that they've beaten that win streak, let's just go over it. First over was was the Cavaliers, one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. Not an easy win. The LA Lakers, as bad as they are, as bad as they've been, they've been playing better lately with Russell coming off the bench. LeBron James, I believe, was not injured at that point. So he very well could have been in part of that game, but that's besides the point. The Warriors, a struggling but good team. You beat the Nets by 30-some-odd points, which was hysterical. So that was a blowout. Then you play the Spurs. That was a blowout. And then the Pistons, that was a blowout. But within the first four games, you have competitive teams based off of just personnel. Again, Cavs, Lakers, Warriors, Nets. With with, with just the, the, the teams I just mentioned, you have Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland. You have Anthony Davis, and you have Russell Westbrook. You have Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Steph, Steph Curry. And then you have KD because Kyrie wasn't available, Ben Simmons, and blah, 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 right? They're not beating scrubs. They're not beating bad players. They're not beating bad teams. And it's led by De'Aaron Fox. He hasn't averaged 20... He's only averaged 25 points twice in his career. The first time was two years ago, and then this season. De'Aaron Fox is averaging 25, 5, and 6. on 56% shooting from the field and 38% from the three-point line, averaging a steal per game. And then you have DeMontis Sabonis, the person that they had acquired from the Pacers last year. He's averaging 17.5 points on 59% shooting, 10 re- oh, excuse me, 11 rebounds per game, and 6 assists. Averaging almost a steal a game and half a block. He's not shooting the greatest from 3, but he doesn't need to be a shooter. He's a stretch 4 or 5 that can hit the 3. But the point is, the two of them together are playing well. They're playing competitive. They haven't had a bad loss, if I'm looking at this correctly. The only bad loss they had was against the Grizzlies back at the beginning of the season, which was their fourth game, where they lost 125-110. to Every other loss has been competitive in terms of within a few possessions. 
The Blazers, 115 to 108. The Clippers, 111 to 109. The Warriors, 130 to 125. The Heat, later on in the season, 110 to 107. The Warriors, later on, 116, 113. You see where I'm going with this. Outside of that one blowout loss they had, they have been in every single game. That says a lot about Mike Brown and his coaching, where he's come from, obviously, the Warriors. He's coached the Cavaliers. He's coached the Lakers. Like Mike Brown has been pretty much all over the place. And he has instilled a good mentality in this young group of guys. And I use the word young lightly because they still have Harrison Barnes and a couple of other veterans on this team. But, dude, the Kings are legit right now. I know it's early. I know that everybody always says, slow down. It's only November, blah, blah, blah. But you have to put some respect on a team like this. They're written off every year before the year starts. The Kings are whack. The Kings are going to be in the bottom of the Western Conference. The Kings ain't going to do shit. They may flirt with a play-in tournament thing if they happen to get hot at the end of the year. But again, for the most part, they've been 100% irrelevant. They haven't made the playoffs longer than the rookies that are in the NBA have been alive. That was a crazy stat when we saw that. I think it was last season, right, Kyle? I think it was like 20-some-odd years. Like They haven't legitimately made the playoffs in probably 20 years. It's been a hot minute. It's been a hot minute. So I'll end it on this note. When you have a younger team, an inexperienced team, catching fire right now led by two stars both young 26 and i think 27 or actually De'Aaron fox might be even younger than that De'Aaron fox is 24 and demontis sabonis is 26 this is where you start to get fearful oh shit they're confident oh shit they're winning oh shit they're playing good like you know what i'm saying you start to panic a little bit so i will say again with it being the beginning of the year there's a lot of room to mess up but they're playing good basketball. They need to be given their flowers. Kevin, like when it comes to what I've seen so far with them is they are a great offensive team so far. And really the game that kind of stood out to me was the fact that they put up 153 points against the Nets. Granted, the Nets don't have a good defense. I fully understand that. But the fact that they scored 80 points and a half is insane. You know, typically we, we would see that from a Golden State or maybe the Houston Rockets a couple of years ago when they had James Harden and Chris Paul, like those really high prolific offenses, maybe they were capable of doing that. I didn't expect the Kings to be able to do something like that. So I got to give these guys a lot of respect for being able to just consistently put up 110, 115, 120 points consistently. And they've got the shooters to be able to do it. When I look at them, their core is pretty much surrounded by De'Aaron Fox, like you said, Kevin Herter has been very solid for them this year. He's been able to knock down some pretty solid three-point shots, and he's kind of carrying that over from Atlanta. So it was a good pickup by them. DeMontis, uh, DeMontis Sabonis playing down low. He's been an absolute beast. And then this one hurts me, Kevin, because I saw the potential with him last year in Malik Monk. Malik Monk was solid for the Lakers last year. And it's unfortunate that the Lakers weren't able to retain him because I knew what he was capable of. He's really athletic and can really provide a spark for them. And that's what he, exactly what he's doing with the Sacramento Kings here. And I think he's been phenomenal so far. And then, you know, you got some of the veteran presence here with Harrison Barnes. You know, by and large, they have a pretty good, what I would consider, five to seven man rotation. And, but they've actually been pretty solid this year. You know, they're off to us nine and six starts. They're in the middle of a six-game winning streak. And even though that is November, you kind of have to take that with a grain of salt just because we still have December through April to contend with. And there's plenty of time 
for the Kings to kind of fall back into their typical ways. But I've been extremely impressed with their efficiency from the field. On some of these wins, they're shooting consistently around 50%, and in some cases, even higher than 50% from the field. So if they're able just to maintain that for the foreseeable future, I'm going to have to reassess how this season is going to play out for them. Because Kev, like you said, you know, pretty much by the end of December, when it came to the Kings, they were usually at the bottom of the barrel in the Western Conference and to a larger extent, the NBA, just because nobody really cared about them. I think, I think ESPN actually did a poll not too long ago where they were essentially saying that the Kings had one of the worst fan bases or had one of the worst franchises throughout all professional sports in North America simply just because they don't really have anything to root for as far as the fans are concerned. And the Kings have been putting out an inferior product out on the court for as long as I've been alive. If you're taking away what they did in the early 2000s when they had Chris Webber and Vladi Divac. I mean, that was over 20 years ago. There are kids that are watching the NBA now who never even knew about that run just simply because they weren't around to see it. So hopefully that they're able to continue this success. Uh, this year, it's actually been kind of different in the Western Conference. You know, Golden State's off to kind of a slow start. You've got teams like the Trailblazers who are off to a really good start. Utah looked like a team that was in an absolute rebuild after they lost Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. They're one of the top teams in the Western Conference. And then you got the Kings who are off to a 9-6 start when nobody expected that. So, Kev, like you said, I got to give them respect for being in this position. They still got a long way to go, and there's plenty of chances for them to either improve their situation or make things worse. So we'll kind of just have to monitor it from here. But overall, I'm impressed with them so far. 15 games in, 9-6. and six, I can't complain about that. They're good in my book right now. Better than what they have been pretty much the majority of our lives, like we said. Hey, but What are you going to yeah. do? What are you going to exactly. do? Exactly. Kev, I think that pretty much that pretty much wraps it up for us, bro. I think we covered all the things that we needed to cover. Unless there's anything yeah, it was else a that you... pretty long episode today, not going to lie. Granted, a lot of it was in the beginning because of what I wanted to get off my chest with, uh, yeah. you know, Jason, David, Frank. But nevertheless, felt good to get back in the booth. Love what we do. Having a lot of fun. Um, just appreciate you guys being here. All the support on all platforms. We have hit 700 subscribers on YouTube. So we are... Very well over the moon, at least personally. Um, and we just, again, we appreciate wherever we get it from. TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, IG, Instagram. wherever. It doesn't make a difference. So we're just grateful. And, uh, you know, with Thanksgiving coming up on Thursday, we're going to do what we can to make sure we have content coming out. I will be away with my family, visiting some family uh, a little higher up in the state past Kyle. So I know Kyle will probably be having to hold on to just at least for a a day. I'll be back Saturday evening, so we'll be back for the Sunday slate. But overall, um, Kyle's gonna have to man the fort again. So I apologize, partner. No, don't worry about it, bro. I'll hold it down. And it's Thanksgiving, and the mom and dad kind of guilted me into it. They were like, "Hey, we haven't seen you for a holiday in a while," because I'm usually with Isabel's family, and I was like, "Low key, they're kind of right." So, family business, bro. You ain't gotta tell me. It's a holiday, bro. you know. I'm not going on a vacation again. It's it's Thanksgiving. It's got to do what you got to do. It's family business. I fully Facts. get it. Don't worry about it. But uh, no, like Kev said, um, we're just very ecstatic about the support that we've been getting recently. And we hope that we continue to get it from you guys, whether it's you know listening to us on the audio platforms or watching our videos on YouTube, Instagram. I mean, all the, those other platforms where you get to see us. 
Uh, we hope that we get that continued support for the foreseeable future. And uh, like Kev said, um, I'll be holding down the fort for our next episode. So it would pretty much just be a preview of the week 12 games in the NFL. And then we may round up the episode with some NBA content as well. So definitely stay tuned for that. But um, until then, um, I just want to flat out say, I hope everybody has a safe and very nice upcoming Thanksgiving holiday. I know, uh, I know we do it big with my family, so we'll be eating good on Thanksgiving and then uh, we'll get back to it on Friday. So uh, once again, hope you guys have a great Thanksgiving holiday and until then, we will see you guys later. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives' activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Electric Cast.